Episode 38 of If These Walls, in which we talk about the United States Postal Service, is best paired with a sarsaparilla old-fashioned. Mix two teaspoons root beer syrup, two ounces bourbon of choice, and a dash of aromatic bitters over ice, and serve with an orange peel garnish. Sip as you listen to The District Sleeps Alone Tonight by the Postal Service. Yellow. Audrey, did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress and played a girl bunny? Neither did I. I was just asking. Welcome to If These Walls, a storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast about the parts of history and culture that make us more human and define our world and our own lives and those women that we aspire to be because it's Women's History Month and there are some badass bitches from history that we need to talk about. Each week we will both share real stories and tell tales, famous infamous or unknown that fall under our interpretations about a specific a theme and this week elena has chosen the united states postal service so exciting and everyone shuts off the podcast but wait wait, wait. there's more <laughs> it'll be with you in five to seven business days ground or first class which apparently is going to take longer from now on oh really I, you know what? I shouldn't do that. I am telling you a snippet of the title of a news story that I read, and that's not something I should do with a microphone. Did you not read the article? It was a YouTube video, and no, I was busy. Okay. That's all right. You stopped yourself. I did. I did. But it was from MSNBC, (laughs) which doesn't necessarily mean anything. I should actually listen to the full thing. Elena, why this now? Well, the answer is twofold. What's the first fold? The first fold is this. During 2020's double-headed beast monster of a pandemic slash election year, the USPS was in the news a lot. In August, pictures of blue drop boxes being removed from neighborhoods, many of them urban or low income, began surfacing in the news. A method to suppress historically blue slash POC votes during a pandemic? Maybe. Fishy no matter what? Absolutely. And then in December of 2020, the USPS was inundated like never before with presents for loved ones as Americans sent gifts for the holidays and purchased more items online because, again, a pandemic. Quick side note about voter suppression and the pictures of blue drop boxes being removed from neighborhoods. That is such a pain point for me because, as I recall all the different moments in which I was a different brand of stressed (laughs) during 2020. (laughs) So many causes for it. One of them being, I distinctly recall when there was this hubbub of people on social media saying, hey guys, they just posted this picture. Just so you know, this one isn't real. This was actually from three months ago. Check it. Okay, here's a timestamp on this one. This one is real. And just the the amount of awareness around, oh my God, so much fake news is going around right now. What's real? We actually have people that are on the streets running around the corner with their camera phone to see if something is actually there or not. Fucking bananas. What a year. Uh, what a year. And it, in the same vein of don't just get your news from the headlines, 
Don't just get your news from text that has been superimposed on a photo of something. <laughs> like meme style. That's not news. No. So be careful. But I do distinctly remember, speaking of being stressed, the we were out of town. Like we took a little road trip and we were out of Columbus when I saw a actually verified picture of downtown Columbus of them removing blue mailboxes. Yeah. And I had that panic of like, I'm not in, I'm not there. Could I do something if I was there? No, I couldn't do something if I was there. What do I do? Um, but I will say, and then we will continue on. It was similarly during this time with a lot of protests. I knew a lot of people firsthand who were at events that I wasn't at, who were live streaming. And I was so grateful for it because anytime someone you know, came up and said, the news says this is happening. I'm like, well, my friend CK is literally there and I'm watching their live stream right now. And no, that's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Protests got real the second. I mean, they've always been real, but they got real, real the second you could start live streaming them. Yeah. Which everyone should. Which is great. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Do you want to get to the second fold? I think we're done. I think that was the whole podcast. (laughs) That was the whole book. Goodbye. The second fold. It is Women's History Month. Today we are recording on International Women's Day. Happy Lady Day. Happy Lady Day. And I want to talk about badass women. Specifically, badass women of color that contributed to American history that were suspiciously left out of our history textbooks. You know, kind of like what we wanted to do when we started this podcast in general, like our goal. So I am using the umbrella of the USPS to talk specifically about one motherfucking badass today. And we'll get there in a moment. First, actually, before I even start in on the USPS, I have to... My sister-in-law, Debbie, hi, Debbie, uh, sent me a text yesterday or a couple days ago from the grocery store of Hershey Kisses cereal and said, I never would have known this existed without your podcast. Yay! (laughs) It's not. Shout out to Debbie. And also, I will say, feed it to kids, nah. But like, peck on it a little bit, like instead of cheese, it's at night for a little sweet. It it hits a spot. It, it, It hits a very specific adult cocoa puff spot and it's shaped like dog kibble. So I feel like it's cleaning my teeth. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. I'll ask post. First, a brief history of the United States Postal Service. In 1775, Benjamin Franklin was named the first postmaster general by the Continental Congress. By the second Continental Congress, left that out. The USPS is one of the very few organizations that is explicitly authorized in the U.S. Constitution. So it's here to stay, bitch. They can't see you when you re- don't react audibly to me. I had interjected enough already in the two paragraphs that you have written. <laughs> I so need I decided constant feedback. Constant. I, I can show my support for you and not absolutely assault our listeners' eardrums with my presence. <laughs> oh, but you love that and you do it so well. Hi. <laughs> The USPS exists to legally and uniformly serve all Americans, regardless of where you live and who you are, at uniform prices and services. Socialism, anyone? I'm, that is, of course, sarcasm. The existence of the USPS is integral to our democracy, and our founding fathers thought so as well. The USPS was elevated to a cabinet-level department in 1872, and in 1970, the Postal Reorganization Act established it as as an independent federal agency. 
This reorganization stemmed from postal workers in large cities who, emboldened by the civil rights movement, decided to strike due to low wages and horrible working conditions. In 2021, the USPS, in its modern form, will turn 50 years old. Happy birthday, you old girl. You don't look a day over 246. What a confusing timeline to try and, c- and communicate to people. Yeah. God, USPS, you're complicated. Well, yeah, it's been around since 1775, but only in its current format for 50 years. What a Doctor Who <gasps> with the blue boxes. <gasps> the USPS is a Time Lord. <laughs> what are those things called? A TARDIS? TARDIS, thank you. Yeah. Well, it's a one TARDIS, but no. Nope, someone's going to fact check me. I'm not going down that route. I'm not going down that route. <laughs> Fact check her, nerds. Prior to being organized under its own federal agency, the Postal Service was kind of not very organized at all. Postal workers weren't assigned to routes. Rather, they bid for them. It gets a little bit confusing, but the gist is this. There were what were called star routes. In other words, the routes that linked two or more important postal destinations. They are the star routes. I was going to transition into Moon River, and I realized I don't know the rest of Starman by David Bowie slash <laughs> Stardust, and that's I learned problematic. something. I that's learned problematic. I know yeah, it is. It's it's homophobic, if anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, individuals could propose lowest qualified bids and would post bonds to assure the postal service that they were insured and fit to complete routes. Once a route was won. The person bidding could either complete the route themselves or they could hire someone else to complete it, basically sublet the route. It were a confusing process in an already confusing and expanding new country. So especially when we get out west, it's going to get a little weird. And that's where we're going. One of those star routes in the late 19th century in the newly growing state of Montana was that from Cascade, Montana to St. Peter's Mission, a Roman Catholic mission about 10 and a half miles northwest of Cascade. And for eight years, between 1895 and 1903, this route was contracted to a person known for their fierce attitude and tremendous strength, someone who wasn't afraid of the harsh terrain, the wolves, or the snow. A woman that walked right into a no-women-allowed saloon, kicked her heels up, and smoked a cigar in defiance of any man watching. This is the story of Mary Fields, a.k.a. Stagecoach Mary, a.k.a. the first African-American woman to carry mail for the United States Postal Service. Where is this film, Paramount Pictures? I know. <sighs> I'm sure there is one. There oh, are, my God. There I'm are sorry. a lot of references to Mary in pop culture. I read, I just read the next sentence you were going to read, and it's like, already, what a, compl- what a complex story. I, please, please go on. Mary Fields was born as an enslaved person in Hickman County, Tennessee, around the year 1832. Could have been 1833. They're not exactly sure. Very little, like nothing, is known about her birth and her enslavement. Some details of Mary's life become clear after she was emancipated following, well, following either following the end of the Civil War or some sources have her being freed in the year 1863. So it's like, it's like they didn't keep very good records of people's lives. No. Especially, especially people of color. Hmm. Mary, like many former slaves, made for friendlier territories. So Mary hopped a steamboat headed up the Ohio River and found herself at a convent. 
the Ursuline Convent of the Sacred Heart in Toledo, Ohio, to be exact, which is still there. She worked as a groundskeeper at the convent. I'm sorry. I'm, this may show my ignorance. I'm always constantly surprised that nuns are still a thing. No, no, no. I thought you were saying Toledo's still there. Like, <laughs> yep, it is. Last time I checked, still there. Uh, at the Ursuline Convent of the Sacred Heart, Mary worked as a groundskeeper. Upon her arrival, when the sisters asked her how her journey was, she reportedly said that she was ready for, quote, a good cigar and a drink. Often, the nuns would complain about her gruff nature and her penchant for cursing while working. God bless her. God help anyone who walked on the lawn after Mary had cut it, the nuns would say. They were shocked by how forward Mary was and thought it outrageous that she requested the same wages as white workers on the convent staff. Uh, For those of you who are not partaking in our Patreon to enjoy the visual portion of this programming, I have been silently rocking out for the entire back end of that paragraph. And of course, it is two sister act. And I just have this hail, holy, green, and throne above. That's all I heard. As soon as it was like, oh, she's working at the convent and she's gruff and the sisters are like, ooh, that's the plot. You're picturing Whoopi Goldberg. It is Whoopi Goldberg now. I've cast her like eight different ways in my head. Regardless of how the other nuns treated Mary, Mother Superior had her back all the way. Mary became close friends with Mother Amadeus Dunn. In some accounts, they were friends prior to her arriving at the convent. In some other accounts, they became friends uh, while she was there. Mother Amadeus Dunn was the fearless and charismatic figurehead of the convent. In 1884, Mother Amadeus moved out west to Montana to found an Ursuline convent. In 1885, Mary followed her out west, and as it turns out, she freaking loved it there. She nursed Mother Amadeus through an illness and began working in the newly built convent. Although the convent and the town were quite small, word of Mary's subversive behavior eventually reached the bishop, who, for some reason, was concerned over Mary's drinking, smoking, cursing, shooting guns, and her inclination for wearing men's clothing. Imagine that. After a particularly dangerous altercation in which Mary and the convent's janitor pulled guns on each other, the bishop had had enough. Well, if you remember from our earlier podcast, this is during a time, 1885, this is in the middle of slash on the early ends even of a time period. Uh, We talked about this in our Stonewall episode where it was illegal for women to drink in public or be seen at certain bars. So it wasn't, it wasn't just about We've never had a woman act like this around here. It was illegal in a lot of places. Yeah, and, and we'll, yeah, we'll get Monta- to that a little bit. Is Montana a territory at this point or a state? Yeah. I'm so sorry. I think it's a territory. territory. Okay. So laws might be a little different as we discussed in our Family Feuds episode. You really do need to listen to every episode of this podcast, don't you? It's just, it's serialized at this point. Oh, I want cereal. Where'd you kiss the cereal? I had Fruity Pebbles today. I'm so jealous of you. I love that for you. you. I made oatmeal, but I put chocolate and cashews and strawberries in it. Good for you. I love myself. My skin is glowing and it's not just the filter. It does look really nice. Thank you. I have a ring light. Great. (laughs) After being kicked out of the convent, Mary tried her hand at odd jobs, such as taking in laundry and other housework tasks. Tasks. Easy for me to say. In 1895, she received this the, her, the star contract through the USPS for the route from Cascade, Montana to the convent. So her friend, 
Mother Amadeus was still there and was looking for ways to get Mary employed back in the convent again. And this was the best way. She was the second female mail carrier in America and the first woman of color. A typical day of work for Mary might look something like this. In the morning, she would pack up her stagecoach with a 38 Smith & Wesson and a rifle, and she would travel to the train station to load up her coach. From there, she would drive over rough, rocky roads to the convent, 10 and a half miles, to deliver the mail to Mother Amadeus. If the snow was too deep, she would leave her stagecoach, strap on snowshoes, and hoist the bags on her shoulders for the long trek. Oh, no, thank you. Her demeanor and, you know, the two firearms she had seemed enough to scare away potential thieves and wolves, both very real problems in late 19th century Montana. Let me also note here, at the time that she received this star route, Mary was over 60 years old already. So this officially makes this the first CrossFit Masters competition, and Mary is, of course, the GOAT. I think that's amazing. I was I was sitting here writing this and I was like, she got this, she got this contract in 1895. She was born in 1832. She lived through a life of slavery. When she left, when she became a free woman, she was 31, 32 years old. And then she had like seven more lives after that. I know. That's the whole. It's so frustrating when people get to the the modern concept of of retirement now and they hit 60 and think, oh, I'm done. It's like, no, you have so much more you can do. Yeah. I was honestly reading this and thinking, okay, the snow part sounds terrible. But past that, what a great engaging career to be in this unsettled, not fully settled territory in Montana. Gorgeous scenery. You got to know how to fire a gun. We'll get there later. But like, it's you and your stagecoach and your thoughts and you've got some hard labor to do. That, in a very probably naive way to me, sounds fantastic. Yeah. And she was, if the if the year that she was born is correct, she's 63 years old when she receives this post. Hot damn, Mary. Go get it. So the townsfolk gave her the nicknames of Stagecoach Mary and Black Mary, both for fairly obvious reasons. At at 200 pounds, Mary was a match for any man in the Montana Territory. She had a standing bet that she could knock a man out with one punch, and she never lost a dime to anyone foolish enough to take her up on that bet. Yeah! Although she was known to be tough as nails, the townsfolk grew to love her. She had an undeniable kindness and generosity towards the children in the town. In the evenings, after her extremely laborious workday, Mary would relax in the saloon with a copious amount of booze. She greatly preferred the company of the men to the nuns at the convent. Eventually, Montana passed a law forbidding women to drink in saloons, but the mayor of Cascade made a special dispensation to Mary, and if he hadn't, I'm pretty damn sure she'd be throwing them back anyway. What are you going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to keep all your birthday cards. You're going to fight me. In 1903, after eight years of harsh male delivering conditions and even harsher boozing, Mary Fields retired at the age of 71. The townspeople of Cascade named her birthday a holiday, and the schools closed each year to celebrate. In her retirement, she babysat the young children of Cascade, and I didn't include this in here, but uh, I read that she char- she would charge $1.50 
for her babysitting services. And then she would in turn take that money to the local candy and toy store and just buy the kids candy and toys. (sighs) She also once again began doing laundry for the citizens of Cascade in her retirement. One day while drinking in the local bar, she spotted a man walking by on the street. It was, it just so happened to be a man who owed her $2 for an unpaid laundry bill. It's a lot of candy. Mm hmm. She followed him down the street and grabbed the collar of the shirt she had not been paid for cleaning, and then she punched him. She returned to the bar and declared, his laundry bill is paid. I punched that ticket. And I imagine that everyone in the bar that day bought her around. Also in her retirement, Mary Fields adopted the Cascade baseball team as her own. For each game, she prepared buttonhole bouquets of flowers for each player from her own garden, which with larger bouquets reserved for home run hitters. Any man speaking ill of the local team in her presence could expect a bouquet of knuckles in his face. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote from an article I read. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when she passed away in 1914 at the age of 82, her funeral was the largest the town of Cascade had ever seen. She was buried in a small grave along the road that she had taken daily from Cascade to the convent. There were no shortage of pallbearers. So like many eccentric Wild West figures, the actual details of Mary Field's life are fuzzy in places. But what does seem clear is that while we sometimes stretch the details to make legends out of normal folks, is someone trying to break into your home over there? I don't know. I hope my neighbor's okay. Shall I hear that at home? I think I think someone is reorganizing. <laughs> Just I, that's what we'll call it. I can hear her walking. She's fine. Uh, but what does seem clear is that while we sometimes stretch the details to make legends out of normal people, in this particular case, it does not seem like stretching the details was really necessary. She's one of those breakers of barriers that you can't help but want to rally around. So the USPS today is one of the country's leading employers of minorities and women, far above the national average. Minorities compromise, sorry, no, they don't. They never compromise. Minorities comprise, (laughs) (laughs) minorities comprise 39% and women comprise 40% of the postal service workforce. 21% of employees are African-American, 8% are Hispanic, 8% are Asian-American Pacific Islander, and 0.67% are American Indian or Alaska Native. And 0.002% are St. Bernard's that bring cask of the ale to people (laughs) in snowy climates. I wish they would bring it to me. I know. Woof. It is the I heard you had a rough day, (laughs) ma'am. Can we figure out a way to start this service? I think we would make a ton of money and bet more than that, we would just make people's day. Let's just get a bunch of St. Bernard's. All right, that's step one. Let's step one. Who was the casting director for Beethoven and Beethoven's second and Beethoven's third? We'll look it up. Okay. The United States Postal Service is the only federal agency on Hispanic Magazine's diversity elite list. The USPS prides itself on being a part of many diversity and inclusion events and conferences, including the NAACP National Convention in New York, the National Urban League in Chicago, the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce National Convention in Denver, the Federal Hispanic Career Advancement Summit in D.C., the Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender Expo in New York, and the Organization of Chinese Americans National Convention in San Francisco. Good for them. 
always room to grow for any organization, including the USPS, but they do seem to set the current standard as far as federal agencies go. But let's continue to push that standard even further and remember that neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Nor Mary Fields from the swift completion of a few rounds of whiskey at the saloon. Cheers to Mary Fields. I have never in my life so strongly and immediately identified with and idolized a person I've heard about. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every, and that's, I only ugh. included stuff because there's there's a lot out there that you can find and a lot of it does seem to be the, there does seem to be a lot of information that seems inflated. Um, so I only included the stuff that I read from a couple sources that that seemed to be pretty legit. And n- none of the movies, no, no Oprah, no, no, no Cicely Tyson. Well, shoot, Cicely Tyson was pretty tiny, but was it you that? Of course, it was you that said this because who else would say this? I don't what? talk to anyone else. <laughs> Who's gonna play Mary Fields on the next Snatch Game, season fourteen, RuPaul's Drag Race? Oh, uh, or the next All Stars. Or the next so, so that actually gives us people to choose from then. And oh, who'd be good on All Stars? You know what? That's the conversation for next week's podcast. Everyone mm-hmm. come back where we cast All Stars season six. <laughs> Quick note about me. I have had one of those days, and maybe someone will benefit from hearing this, where I woke up with the utter confidence that I was a piece of shit and incapable of doing things and had a very long list of things to do today. Among them, work, feed myself, work out at some point. Seems simple, but there were complex steps for like each of these. And every step of the way, I decided, okay, just do a thing. I ended up being incredibly productive, getting a head start on things that like I have been wanting to get started on at work. I made three bangers of meals, those amazing dessert morning oats, And then I made a really good cashew stir fry for like, uh, essentially it was like a Singaporean fried rice. And then for dinner, I made jambalaya with no recipe and it is phenomenal. I had a similar day and I'm not just saying that because you said it. I woke up feeling like a fucking piece of shit. Sorry for my, I don't know. I woke up feeling like a piece of shit. I, I coached the early morning classes. So I was at the gym for four hours prior to starting actual work. And I had, I had one of those moments I was in such a foul mood and I had so much to do today. And I was just putzing around like a foul piece of crap. And then my, my mind was like, this isn't bad. This is kind of fun. And then I was was like, no, stop it. I want to be a piece of crap. And then it kept saying, like, no, like, today's not really not that bad. Audrey, do you know what I did today? I went running. Woo. Why? From what? I don't know. My, <laughs> my own, own my own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but I was inspired to go running. That's how good my morning went after I thought it was going to be a shitty day. Yeah. So this is, I mean, the, the, the takeaway from this is not get over it, but it's, it's a real, it's, it's being aware of sometimes you are going to be your own worst enemy and you really can do great things even when you think that you can't. So just try it, just try it. But to your point, you said just do one thing at a time. That's all you have to do. Just do the next right thing, Glennon Doyle.
Don't get me started on Glennon Doyle. That better be a positive sigh. I mm, nope. I like her. I okay. like her. Okay. okay I good. hated her last book. Hated That's okay. it. That's okay. Okay. Maybe the next one will be the right thing for you. But everyone loved it, and it's really bad. You don't have to like the same th- same thing as everybody else. I don't okay. like Snickers. Okay. Get your nuts out of my candy. All right. I have a I have a bold statement to make. Is it get your nuts out of my candy? Because that was That's pretty it. bold. That's it. Join us next week. Almond joys have nuts. Nuts mounds don't. Mounds are better. But aside from that, we need to bring back letter writing. If not for the tail wagging, whale inducing joy that the arrival of the mail strikes into the heart, then for the deep and meaningful connection between two people that is drawn when pen touches parchment. And letter writing is not entirely a thing of the past. A quick search pulled up over 40 different threads on Reddit where folks asked where and how they could go about finding a pen pal. The threads are uncharacteristically wholesome for Reddit and are sprinkled with exchanges that indicate matches were made. It is delightful. (laughs) Get it, neckbeards. Find other neckbeards. Meet, hug, Velcro to each other. And recent history has some legit heartwarming stories about famous pen pals. First up, she's an award-winning star who plays in period pieces, and he's an actual Irish potato farmer turned Boston dock worker. Actress Carrie Mulligan and father to unnamed sons, Marcus Mumford, met as youngsters through their church's vacation Bible school program and stayed in touch as pen pals during their childhood. Years later, they got in contact again and fell in love. They were married in 2012 and are the parents to two young children. What? Mumford's sons. I don't think they're sons. I think they're daughters, but <laughs> irrelevant. Was the whole thing, was that whole thing so that you could say Mumford's sons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I included that one. Um, Elena, did you know that for the price of a cup of coffee, you can provide a child with ne- in need with food, books, shoes, and clean water? I have heard that before. Mm-hmm. This type of messaging has fallen by the wayside with the advent of streaming services, but Alyssa Milano has taken up Sally Struthers' mantle in spreading the word about child sponsorship programs like Save the Children. These programs had photos of children in need up on the refrigerators of families all across my childhood in the late 80s and 90s. Every household sponsored a child, even the White House. Prior to and during during his time in office, George H.W. Bush quietly sponsored a young Filipino child named Timothy Viala. The late president used to send handwritten letters to Timothy, sharing stories about their families, pets, and favorite hobbies. While his messages were deeply personal, his letters never spoke of his actual job, though he did on occasion make reference to the White House. Oh, I got got the arm boners. Yeah. The schoolboy he sponsored only discovered who his pen pal and generous benefactor had been when he graduated from college, having been fully sponsored by the 41st president. Wow. I love that story. That's great. It's it's no commentary on George H.W.'s It does not need to be. Right. No, no, no. It was just a very delightful story to read. People can be two things. People can be multitudes. (laughs) They can be bad at being president and a very good pen pal at the same time. I'm 
verbose. I use the words a lot to the point of making up words if necessary, but long form exchanges are my love language, closely followed by gifts, which are the novel of the photography world. My love of the written word is something I share with a bevy of brilliant humans who have gifted the world with biographies, essays, poems, novels, arias, and the like. And among their greatest contributions to the greater world are their words that they shared directly with each other. Elena, if I may, I would like now to bless your ear holes with some tasty-ass expressions of human affection and care, compliments of some historical bros and broads, Cool. Cool. Some words are hot, steamy, sensual messages of desire. Anais Nin and Henry Miller were both married when they met in Paris in 1931, but that didn't stop them from embarking on a years-long affair that spawned some glorious exclamations of adoration. In August 1932, Miller wrote, Here I am, back and still smoldering with passion. Like wine smoking. How does not smoke? With two fingers and a whole bunch of gumption. Don't interrupt me. I'm Henry Miller. (laughs) Not a passion any longer for flesh, but a complete hunger for you. A devouring hunger. I read the paper about suicides and murders, and I understand it all thoroughly. I feel murderous, suicidal. I feel somehow that it is a disgrace to do nothing, to just bide one's time, to take it philosophically, to be sensible. I just think it's a lot more meaningful than you up. Yeah, that doesn't, you can't slide into a DM with that. No. Some pen pals kept things above the belt, using letters to cheer on their friends and colleagues in their work. Around the turn of the century, Edith Wharton and Henry James struck up an, an epistolary, epistolary, the word is epistolary. Epistolary. Edith Wharton and Henry James struck up an epistolary relationship after crossing paths at a couple of dinner parties. They were both writers and expatriates. And in his inaugural letter, James enthusiastically is supportive of Wharton's work. Quote, and I applaud, I mean, I value, I egg you on your study of the American life that surrounds you. Let yourself go in it and at it. It's an untouched field, really. The folk who try over here don't come within miles of any civilized, however superficially, any evolved life. And use to the full your ironic and satiric gifts they form a most valuable, I hold, and ben- be- beneficent, ben- beneficent, beneficent. The words, Elena, the words. Beneficent. Beneficent engine. I'm sorry, Henry, I did you wrong. But like, what an girl to get. On occasion, writers would find solace in each other exchanging letters as a means of diarizing their private lives for private eyes. Elizabeth Bishop and Robert Lowell met in New York in 1947 when they were both rising stars of the poetry world. She had just published her first book and he had just won a Pulitzer. They would write to each other for the next 30 years, warmly supporting each other, both professionally and personally. 
1948, he wrote, At last, my divorce, note from fellow writer and Pulitzer winner, Gene Stafford. At last, my divorce is over. It's funny at my age to have one's life so much in one's own hands. All the rawness of learning what I used to think should be done with by 25. Sometimes nothing is so solid to me as writing. I suppose that's what vocation means. At times a torment, a bad conscience, but all in all purpose and direction. So I'm thankful and call it good, as Elliot would say. Who's Elliot? I don't know. She's not on Drag Race anymore. Bye, two T's. This one has one T. Is it T.S.? I'm assuming it is, actually. (laughs) They didn't make reference when I pulled the quote, but I'm like, are they talking about another poet? They're talking about another poet. Also known by his lesser known drag name, Elliot with one T. I... I, I was flooded with cats references, so I couldn't pick one. So we're just <laughs> someday we're going to have a conversation about why Taylor Swift was wearing shoes in that movie, but that day is no, not today. No, we're not having any conversations about that movie. And sometimes, Elena, letters provide a home for words that simply cannot be said aloud, for decency, for fear or shame, or because those words need to be preserved and repeated, saved in reference for wandering and weary minds that need a sticking place to keep from careening into complete despair. Clara Schumann was 35 years old and married to composer Robert Schumann when she began an intense emotional entanglement with her husband's protege, 21-year-old Johannes Brahms. Ever heard of him? Robert was in an <laughs> very serious passage. Sorry. Robert was in an insane asylum, and Brahms was living with Clara and her seven children to help and console her, though he was careful not to overstep any obvious boundaries. Even after Robert died in 1856, the pair stayed apart, perhaps because of the age difference or out of loyalty to Robert or guilt. Brahms went to Dusseldorf, and Clara moved to Berlin. When he visited in October 1857, things had changed. After their visit, he wrote, I'm not doing a German accent here because it's going to ruin everything. Okay, okay. My dear Clara, you really must try hard to keep your melancholy within bounds and see that it does not last too long. Life is precious, and such moods as the one you are consumed in, body and soul. Passions are not natural to mankind. They are always exceptions. The man in whom they overstep the limit should regard himself as an invalid and seek medicine for his life and for his health. The ideal and the genuine man is calm both in his joy and in his sorrow. Did I strike the cat's fancy just now? Uh, you must have. She is. She's, Hello, Ziggs. She's very into what you're saying. I guess. Something about that particular passage struck me, and it was what I wanted to end on when reading from folks. I just think that there's a lot more meaning we're not expressing to each other. 
and this underlying sense of guidance of, I want to say, and I want to name that I see you're going through this hard time. You can't let it last. And let me, let's, let's just talk through it. Let me explain why I think it's problematic. Let me support you as much as I can. And let me safely try and guide you out of it. What I hear you saying is that without letter writing, we are not expressing the full, our full minds to, to the people we're connected with. Is that and I just don't have, I just don't have the right gift to express that to you. That's what I was just going to say. It's like, what gift do you send for this? <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the one of Nick from, um, from new girl when he's meeting Prince and he screams and passes out. It's not that it's not that. But it might be that. It's close. It's, it's close. very close. Yeah. It's not just letter writing. It's any form of writing. We don't journal. I've been trying to make an effort to journal this year. It's it's hard because I, as a kid, I would just write a lot. And now I can't think of the words to write. And writing also like makes my fingers cramp and my forearms tired. <laughs> I went through a period maybe about a year and a half ago and, and leading up into the first month of the pandemic where I actively journaled every day and I made myself do it because I genuinely felt lost and I didn't know what to do with my words. And I said, okay, I'm going to put something out, whether it's a word a day, I need to make sure that I actually said something. And some days the entry was just, I did it, whatever. <laughs> but the act of putting it out, not in a digital format, makes it seem so much more like I'm spilling it out into the real world. And that's why I like Mm -hmm. letter writing as opposed to sending an email. Yeah, you can get all those words out and conveyed, but something about scratching it into a piece of paper, making it permanent in that way. Could you set it on fire? Sure, Eliza, but historians will be pissed at you. We hadn't made a Hamilton reference yet. I needed to drop one in. Yeah. When the feeling ain't the same and your body don't want to, but you know, you gotta let it go. Cause that body ain't feeling like it used to. Did you get it back? Did you go from, did you go from Hamilton to Usher? That's what Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do anything. This is now an Usher podcast. That was done for me. Peace out, um, town down. <laughs> I started... A few years, uh, she was much younger now. My niece is now 16. Gross. Going on 17. And uh, <laughs> and when she was maybe like 10 or 11, I was like, I got her all these stationery and things and I, I gave them to her for Christmas. And I was like, okay, we're going to be pen pals now. This is your Christmas gift. It didn't last long enough. And it, it was 100% my fault. That's Start the worst thing about it. Start doing it again. I don't, I'm not surprised. You that. It's I not know. because, yeah, that isn't a dig at you. It's, it's just a recognition. Oh, I went uh, when in the aforementioned USPS was in trouble earlier this summer when they were like, do what you can buy stamps, support the USPS. I bought stamps because I love stamps. I love stamps. Did you buy so the John I, Oliver stamps? I did not, <laughs> but I bought a bunch of stamps and then I, on Instagram put out a call and was like, do you want me to send you a postcard? DM me your address. I sent like a dozen and then I stopped. So if you did that and you're listening and I didn't send you a postcard, I apologize. I, one more, one more stamp thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
when I got married, um, I had seen this on a couple websites and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, stamps, unless they are canceled, never go bad. So you can use a two cent stamp on something. I mean, as long as you give, put enough postage on there, you can use stamps of any that's Whatever. the fun monetary of, amounts. Yeah. That's the fun of forever stamps is you the buy fun stamp. of forever stamps introduced in 2007, the forever stamp. Anyway. So I did a bunch of research and I, on eBay bought a giant box of non-canceled stamps from, I mean, they were from like 1940s on up. There were some very delightful stamps that were introduced in the sixties, seventies and eighties. So everyone's on everyone's invitation that they got in the mail, they got a different array of stamps that that added up to the added correct amount of postage. Yeah. I loved doing that. Loved it. Might use it again someday. That's really cute and requires so much curation. I know. I love a good curation. I hope they kept that. Me too. Me too. This was delightful as opposed to... <laughs> Should we write each other letters? Like, what's... <laughs> now that we're maybe, far enough away and I know that I trust my postman. Maybe we could do a letter writing podcast. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I support everything you hey, do. That how about sounds this? like a bad idea. When we finally start the Patreon, we you get letters from us. That's one of the tiers. Oh, that's perfect. We'll write you letters. Uh, we're going to start the Patreon after we're done with the Patreon, by the way. <laughs> you can be a be Patriot or you can be a Patriot. I actually really do like that idea. Thank Keep, you. So let's put it, let's, let's put a bit in that. I have okay. stamps. I have stamps. I have stamps too. I love stamps. Love I like, stamps. I like postcards. That's a conversation postcards. for another day, but not next week. Cause I have a different topic for next week. Okay. Elena, I want to keep this high going. We've talked about death. We've talked about feuds, but we're taking a turn. And next week we're going to talk about the best day ever. What? That's so, that's too delightful. I can't wait. I can't wait. Best day ever. I thought of it in the shower and I just started laughing to myself. (laughs) I just got Hoku's perfect day in my head. How do I feel? Oh, wait, no, different song. <laughs> no, it's the, it's the Legally Blonde one. I know, I was doing the burrito song. God bless Hoku. <laughs> Who knew she had such a such a impact? Her catalog of two. <laughs> I know two Hoku. Hoku songs. Alina, where can they find us till then? If these walls pod on Instagram, if these walls pod at gmail.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It's very helpful. And tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. I'm going to go eat some jambalaya. I'm going to finish this watermelon lacroix. Eat something you love. Take it, find it, love it, and put it in your body. Bye. And don't let the door hit you on the way out. Bye. I'm going to go to the hospital.